Well, good morning. How's everybody doing? My name is David Hurtado. I'm the lead pastor here. If you're new to us, um, man, welcome. We're so glad you're here. I do this thing. I hang out afterwards. Please come see me. Come shake my hand. Man, uh, where to start? I, I have to start this way. I just tell you, um, you know, in the last couple, several weeks, all of a sudden, I can hear everybody singing and worshiping God, and I just love that. You know, I, I, that's, that's what I, when I evaluate myself as a pastor, and people go, how does a pastor evaluate himself? How many people in the church? I could care less about that kind of stuff. I, I get excited about when people, am I opening their eyes so they can see how big God is and how much they want to worship him and love him and sing out of their heart that they love this God? And so when I hear voices, you know, in fact, let me just say this. I'd rather our church be known for, man, these guys sing and they do a ton of stuff in the community. That would be our reputation more than, man, there's a whole bunch of people go there. I could care less about that stuff. And so I, I'm just elated to hear that. And it started when we like, you know, um, you know, covered the seats in the back and made people move forward. And, and I don't know if that's part of it. Uh, some of you like that change. Some people hate it. If you hate the change, talk to Kenny. He loves those conversations. <laughs> <laughs> and so, yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh man, uh, the other thing I got to say is uh, food pantry, uh, this card is in here, We're gonna, we've been highlighting all month, I haven't said very much on the stage because I get so into the message, I wanted to say I do, you know, I did the videos and whatnot, but hey, this is our heart right here, okay, uh, this is our community uh, outreach initiative, um, you know, impact initiative, this is, this is not going away, it's one of our values, so uh, hopefully this doesn't get old on you, we're already planning the next one for May, and the one in September, and the one in next January, this is what we're going to be all about, how do we make an impact in the community, this one particularly um, uh, big for me because I was a 16 year old kid with a knock on the door where somebody brought us a, a box of food, and so, um, whoa, can't be getting emotional too, too early here, and so, the whole point is, please, please, take a bag. If you got a bag, if you didn't get a bag, all the bags are gone. Bring a box. I don't care. Five items. Get, get them. Next week is the week to bring. Okay? Next week's the week to bring. My growth group is going to be here afterwards uh, serving to make sure everything gets put downstairs in the basement and all that kind of stuff and organized and everything. Hopefully, we won't be here till midnight. Hopefully, there'll be more volunteers than just us. But the whole point is, we're behind this thing and we're excited about blessing our food pantry where we get to go and tell the community that we love you, we care for you. You. We have compassion on you just like Christ had compassion for physical needs. We're hoping that it'll give us the ability to speak into you spiritually as well, just like um, um, Christ's compassion allowed him to do the same thing. All right, where do we start today? I'm going to start off kind of in a vulnerable moment, okay? Um, uh, the transparent moment here. It's going to be one of those things that might shock you. Maybe cause you to look at your pastor a little differently than you've ever considered. You may even want to defend me, but I just want to tell you, please don't. It's okay. I'm okay. I'm comfortable within my own skin. And that is to say this, all that to set up this, it may shock you to hear that before I was, uh, before I was married to my wife, I wasn't much of a ladies' man. Um, <laughs> I really enjoyed, loved ladies, loved ladies, but I just wasn't a ladies man. That whole interaction, the opposite sex, and, and he throws a signal, and then she throws it back, and that, that I just, I, man, there's like a decoder thing that goes on there, and I didn't get the decoder manual, and so I didn't, I didn't quite understand. I sent the message for sure. Did I receive one? I don't know. I don't know what's going on here, and so I just wasn't much of a ladies man. It wasn't my, my thing, and I know that that's, that shocks many people, and I, understand, and I get that. 
I get that. I understand. And, and, and don't, don't defend me. I'm okay with my, I'm comfortable with my skin. But, but let me just show you how that works out. I got married, my wife, and, and, you know, she's telling me about this decoder manual thing and how women work and all this stuff. And, 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 you know, um, I, I, you know, you know, the, 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 the you know, <laughs> how the woman works, you know, so anyway, so. So I, you know, there'd be these girls over the years, and there's one girl in particular come to my office and brought me a Starbucks coffee, and I was asking my wife, I said, so what was going on there? You go, yeah, she dug you. Really? That girl came to my office, brought me a Starbucks, and I'm thinking to myself, man, she's gorgeous, and she's beautiful, and man, I wish I knew if she liked me, you know? But right now, I'm working, and I can't talk to her, and I don't like coffee. <laughs> That's what I'm thinking. This, yeah, no, no woman brings you something unless she likes you. Okay, I'm helping a lot of guys out right now. I understand that. That's good. Learn <laughs> From my mistakes. It took me a year before I asked that girl out, and by that time, I'm squarely in the friend zone. I mean, I'm swimming at the deep end of the, swim, uh, the friend zone swimming pool. I'm snorkeling in that bad boy. I might have like a, a, a scuba certificate in the deep end of the friend zone swimming pool. If you don't know what that is, ask your kids. They know what the friend zone is. But I'm living up in that thing, and there's this other girl came in, gave me a, a dolphin poster. This is back in the day we had poster stores at the mall, and they, you know, framed dolphins for it. It's like $200. And she gave it to me. She, yeah, she liked it. I'm like, what, really? Oh, man, this is crazy. I didn't know. There's this whole decoder manual thing of how women send signals, and I, and I wouldn't receive them. So the question becomes, and everybody's like, how in the world did you get married? <laughs> it's a good question. That's a good question. And uh, it leads us to a story about a peanut butter cookie. And... A peanut butter cookie that I want to tell you was my only hope of ever getting married. One peanut butter cookie, my only hope of ever getting married. It goes like this. There's this gorgeous girl, unbelievably gorgeous girl. She's uh, hanging out in the middle school ministry of the church. I'm one of the middle school, middle, we had a pastor and four interns. I was one of the pastoral interns, a bigger church. Uh, and so, you know, she's hanging out with us and she's gorgeous. Can't keep my eyes off her. Oh my gosh, like every time I stop looking at her, she's going to notice you're looking at her. Uh, you know, you're not going to ask her out because if the ugly one said no, then the pretty one's not going to say yes. And so you just, you know, off limits, you know, you know, this is the mind of a big man. And so anyway, so, so, <laughs> anyway, so the point, the point of the story is she comes in, she's gorgeous. And all of a sudden one day I find on my desk again at work, a uh, 10 uh, uh, peanut butter cookies with a dolphin sticker on a, on a, you know, sack lunch kind of a bag sitting there. And of course I'm a big guy and I, I tear through about nine of those suckers within an hour. And I have one left, but I'm full and I can't eat anymore. Finally, my buddy comes in, Jed, who works with us. Praise God that Jed came in that day. Comes in, he goes, what's that? I go, oh, you remember that new girl, Meredith? Yeah, she made me some cookies, man, and they're really good. She's not into that odd water stuff. Like, she's like scratch cookies, you know. Which, by the way, she's never made me a peanut butter cookie since. <laughs> it is a setup. It is a setup. Okay, so I'll say this. I'll say this. I'll say this. I'll say this. Her, I don't like peanut butter cookies anymore because her chocolate chip cookies are so much better that I just, she makes those up. Okay, anyway, so, anyway, so she made, and Jed's like, Jed's peanut butter cookies, and he looks at me, and his eyes get big, and he goes, oh my gosh, Big Dave, well, that's my, that's my, my nickname at the time, Big Dave, she likes you, she likes, he's yelling, I'm like, dude, dude, shh, be quiet, be quiet, but she so clearly does not like me, Jed, she's so, she's just honoring the staff. 
She's just honoring the staff, her staff, the middle school, you know, staff of the church. She's just being honoring. And he goes, oh, okay, I got a big, I got it. He goes, he goes uh, uh, you're, you're a pastoral intern. She's just honoring the staff. Yeah, yeah, that's all that's going on. Oh, okay, I got it. He goes, I'm an intern. I ain't got cookies. The other interns, they don't got cookies. Dave Cox, the pastor of middle school ministry, he didn't have any cookies, but she's just trying to honor his staff. <laughs> and I go, oh my gosh, do you really think she likes me? <laughs> <laughs> and he goes, yes, I call her within 15 minutes, ask her out, and that's the, because of that peanut butter cookie, my only hope. You talk about desperation. The only reason that I'm married today is because of that peanut butter cookie. Now, I, you know, I'm a big fan, and we'll joke, and I'm a big fan of don't check your personality at the door when you go to church, okay? We're going to have ups and downs. There's going to be time we'll be emotional, time we'll be happy, we'll be laughing, all those things. Yeah, we, we don't have to check our emotions at the door when we come to church, all right? But at the same time, we talk about this and we joke about desperation and my only hope and this peanut butter cookie and all this stuff. But I would just say this, true followers of Christ find, their, find Jesus Christ to be their only hope. This is their only hope. And this morning, we're going to look at a guy who comes to realize that Jesus is his only hope. And we're going to look at how would he approach him and how would he leave him? How would Jesus receive him and and, and what would he do? And would the man leave as desperately as he came? And so for that, we're going to be in the book of Mark. So open up your your, your phone right now. Get there. Highlight. If you're in a growth group, you're going to take notes because we're going to be talking about this week in our groups. But uh, Mark chapter 2. If you don't have a Bible, we'll put it on the screens for you so you can follow along. We're going to look at this question today. On the screen, what happens when Jesus is your only hope? What happens when you come to a place in life where you realize Jesus Christ is my only hope? The first thing you see is going to happen is your approach might become a little desperate. Your approach becomes, when you are down to your last hope, your only hope, your approach becomes desperate. You might get a little desperate in the way you approach things. And we're going to see that right now in verses 1 through 4 in Mark chapter 2. We're in chapter two, that's right. Uh, uh, verse one says this. A few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, uh, the people heard that he had come home. So many gathered that there was no room left, not even outside the door, and he preached the word to them. Some of the men came, bringing him a paralytic carried by four of them. Since they could not get to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus And after digging through it, they lowered the mat that the paralyzed man was on. We'll stop right there. Uh, What happens when Jesus is your only hope? First thing, your approach might get a little desperate. So what's going on? We have a homecoming party. Remember, now chapter one, we just ended last week. Jesus heals a leopard. Word's getting out. Oh my gosh, a leopard's like a dead man walking. Holy cow, he healed him. Why did he heal him? We believe that when you're a leper, God's judging you. Why would Jesus come and heal that guy? I don't know. I don't understand the significance of that. But at the same time, the word is getting out. This guy can do miraculous things. And so all of a sudden, he can't even go. Remember, we ended last week. He can't get to go to any town. He has to stay out in the outskirts now because everybody knows about him. As soon as he comes to town, a big mob rushes him. we got to see this guy. All right? And so he has a homecoming party. He's in Capernaum. That's kind of the base of his ministry. He's probably at Peter's house. And everybody hears that he's there. They all go to the house like, wow, he's here again. The word is out. And, and, and those days, you didn't culturally have to ring a doorbell as if they had one anyway. You just walked right in. 
And it would not be cultural for you to say, you can't come in. It's kind of like being Hispanic and running out of food at a party. Anybody Hispanic? And that's like the world's worst thing that could happen. You cannot see it. You cannot run out of food. You're supposed, everybody's supposed to be doubled over full, and you're supposed to have like leftovers for a week. That's how, Well, in their culture, you couldn't tell people not to come in. And so they rushed in this house. Jesus is there, and he begins teaching all of them. There's so many people there that nobody can even get through the doorway anymore is the idea. And so finally, the house is so stuffed, no one can get in. We see a progression in the story. There's this guy coming. He's paralyzed in some form. He cannot walk. He cannot, so clear he cannot get there on his own. So he's got four buddies who are carrying him, which is rather unique because everybody would think he did something to offend God and God is judging him on this earth. That's why he's paralyzed. And yet he's got four buddies that love him enough to bring him to Jesus. They get to the front door. Nothing's available. Can't get in. We can't get in. And so what they do is they clearly go, I'm going to go up the steps. Maybe there's a stairway. These are probably one-story buildings, not very big. Sometimes there's a stairwell. Sometimes there's, uh, there's a ladder, but you get to the, to the roof. And they literally break up a hole in the roof. In fact, the idea, if you looked at it literally, it would be this. They unroofed the roof. They unroofed it. They unroofed the roof. Now, it's different to us, you know, I got a 50-year warranty roof. It's not like that back then. You know, I got a 30-year warranty roof, depending on what roof you have. Back then, they would redo their roofs every year, all right? Let me tell you how, how this works. A flat, flat kind of, you know, they don't have like the structures that we have today. They'd have big, big uh, wooden tree beams, and then they would put like this uh, uh, um, uh, palm tree branches or tree branches, and they put mud, and they, they wet it, and they put some clay tiles on top, and that would be their roof for the winter. Well, that so clearly would not make you pass one winter, so every year you would redo your roof. And so the idea that they would unroof, they just literally are peeling back palm tree branches and pulling it back. People are kind of trying to listen to Jesus and all of a sudden they see all mud falling on them. There's a hole that opens up and then boom, they're able to lower this guy on the mat down right before Jesus. Desperate times require desperate measures. We can't get to him. He's not going to see us. What do we do? We're going to do the desperate thing. We're going to go up to the roof, unroof the roof and let him down probably with some fishing line. So he's on this, a poor man's mat is the idea, like a, a poor man's mattress. Maybe simply a, a bag with straw in it type of thing. And four corners, there's, there's uh, four corners. Imagine that thing with four corners with, with fishing string and they just lower him down right before Jesus. Imagine the spectacle. They're listening to Jesus. It hurts so much about him. He's doing his teaching thing. Somebody makes a hole and here comes this guy right before Jesus as he's teaching and everybody in the room is saying to themselves, what is Jesus gonna do? What is he gonna do? And everybody in the room is gonna think to themselves, there was a paralyzed man in front of him who obviously did something so sinful that God is judging him and now he's in before, before what is Jesus gonna do? We heard about him last week. He did this thing with this leper and he was able to make the, the Hansen's disease go away. What is Jesus going to do? Desperate time requires desperate measures. What happens when Jesus is your only hope? You get desperate. But not only that, you get rewarded. Let's look to number two. What happens when Jesus uh, is your only hope? Your approach becomes desperate and you leave rewarded. Number two, let's look over to verse five. You leave rewarded. Let's look at this. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. But some teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves, Why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? 
Immediately, Jesus knew in his spirit, not the Holy Spirit, just his mind, mind and spirit, same word in the Greek, in his mind that this is the way they were thinking in their hearts. And he said to them, why are you thinking these things? Which is easier, to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up, take up your mat, and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, tell, I tell you, get up, take up your mat, and go home. And he got up, took up his mat, and he walked out in full view of all of them. This amazed everyone. And they praised God, saying, we have never seen anything like this. What happens when Jesus is your only hope? You might come desperately, and you also might leave rewarded. You might leave rewarded. So here you have the situation. He comes down. What is he going to do? He says, your sins are forgiven. And immediately spurns in the mind of all the religious leaders a theological debate. Now you've got to understand here, Jesus is already, in the book of Mark, has already received opposition in chapter 1 from the enemy. We talked about the devil and the enemy and how the cause of Christ and the cause of the evil one explode on earth together. That's Jesus' ministry. But now in chapter 2, and we're going to see this for the next couple chapters here, he gets a new form of opposition. And this opposition is the religious establishment. And they're coming not because they're interested in following Jesus Christ or hearing his claims or even seeing his miracles. They are actually jealous of him. Well, you know what? His fame is growing. And the more his fame grows, the, more, the less people listen to us. And if he continues to grow, then we're going to get smaller. And we don't want to see him go. And we go, long. so we got to find a way. We got to, let's come and see what we're up against here. And eventually they're going to say, how do we kill this guy? And so right away, we see them from the very beginning of this, that we're going to check this guy out. And they're thinking in their minds, not, this is amazing what just happened. They're thinking in their minds, how can you forgive sins? And so it spurs a theological debate between them, this concept of blasphemy. Jesus says, son, your sins are forgiven, which is, is so out of the ordinary. Everybody's expecting a miracle, and here's Jesus saying, your sins are forgiving. Everybody's expecting a miracle, and the second thing they're thinking is, well, this guy obviously did something before God to be in that state. Uh, he's being judged by God, and so Jesus says, I'm going to deal with the second one first. Your sins are forgiven. I told you guys, uh, my birthday was last month, turned 40. Thank you very much. Feel good about it. Uh, you know, 40 is a new 15. <laughs> Anyway, so I went, to, I went to Las Vegas with my wife and some family that we had friends with from Arizona. We went to the David Copperfield show. And I love magic. I think it's, I mean, I don't think it's magical or anything. I just illusion, you know, I love illusion and whatnot. And so, um, so I'm watching him and you know, he's like the father of all illusions for 40 years. The guy's butt old, but he still can do it. And so, so anyway, we're there. And I mean, can you imagine if David Copperfield came out and said, hey everybody, I know you're here today to see me do some magical stuff. But before I start, I want to tell you my first act is this song I wrote and I want to do a little sing and dance routine. People go, no, 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 David, we didn't come to hear you sing and we didn't come to hear you dance. We want to see it, a, a rabbit come out of the hat. You know, that's why we came. And that's what's kind of going on here with Jesus. They all want to see the guy healed and Jesus goes, your sins are forgiven. Like, what are you talking about? Well, we heal the guy. And the, the, and, and, and the, the teachers of the law, if we cross-reference Luke chapter 5, we understand those guys to be uh, the Pharisees. And, and they're sitting there going, wait a second, you can't do that. You can't say that. Only God can say that. It's blasphemous. 
blasphemous for you to say something like that. In fact, the Greek word order there, I'm going to do a little bit of Greek grammar real quick. In, in, in Greek, each word in the, hidden in the word is the idea of whether it's a direct object or the subject of the sentence or the verb of the sentence, all right? In English, we look at word order, word order to tell us that. John hit the ball. John obviously is the subject. The verb is hit. Ball is the direct object. We know that because of word order. In Greek, you don't have to do that because it's written in the word. And so he puts at the very beginning, forgiveness. Is right there. Forgiveness is my whole point. I'm here to forgive. I can forgive you, son. I have forgiven you. Forgiveness is the first word there. The emphasis, the emphatic emphasis. I'm here to forgive. And they're going, wait a second, you can't say that. You can't do Only God can do that. Are you saying you're God, Jesus? It's exactly what's going on there. And you know, they're quite right. Only God can forgive sins. You can write these down. Uh, Psalms 103, verse 3. I'll check that out a little later. Isaiah chapter 43 and verse 25. Only God can forgive sins. They're quite right. If you claim to forgive sins, then you are saying you are God, and that is blasphemous if you are human. That is true. In fact, there was three levels of blasphemy in the Old Testament. The first level was to speak something against the law, kind of a lower form of blasphemy. Second thing would be to speak against God. That would be a lower form of blasphemy. The worst form of blasphemy you can find in the Old Testament is when you claim to have the very authority of God. That's the word. And it was punishable by death, according to Leviticus chapter 24. And so the idea was, wait a second, you're attributing to yourself the prerogatives that only God has, and so you're saying you're God, and we can kill you for that if you're not God. If you're not God. It's only blasphemous if you're not God. Jesus, what are you saying? Are you claiming the prerogatives that only belong to God? Are you saying that you are God? Are you, are you claiming to be divine? He was sending a very clear message that all the religious leaders, and they caught it. You're saying you're God. This is always amazing to me because people will come, and, 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 and probably from a place of ignorance, but skeptics will say, Jesus never said he was God. Oh my gosh, and you have not read the Gospels. So clearly, is. in fact, they're going to kill him for this later. They're going to use that Leviticus 24, and that's going to be the basis of which why they are allowed to kill him. Because he's blasphemed against God claiming that he was God. They so clearly understood what he was saying. Very clearly understood what he was saying. Now this is going on in their minds and Jesus reads their minds. The first miracle that goes on that day isn't that this man starts walking. The first miracle that goes on that day is Jesus can read their minds. And that should have been the first thing. Wait a second, how does he know what I'm thinking? But they don't even catch that. And he sets up a question or a riddle for them and he really sets them up to be had. Let's look at verse eight again. It says this. Immediately, Jesus knew in his spirit, again, his mind, his spirit, that this is what they were thinking in their hearts. And he said to them, why are you thinking these things? Which is easier to say? Now, here's the question or the riddle that he establishes for them. Which is easier to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven or get up and take up your mat and walk? Let's talk about that together. Which is easier to say? Which one do you think is easier to say? Your sins are forgiven or get up and take up your mat and walk? Which one would you think? Why is that one easier? Why is your sins forgiven easier to say? Because it doesn't require any external validation. I could say it to you, your sins are forgiven. That doesn't mean anything. I mean, th th if I say get up your mountain walk, that requires me to do a miracle. I can say, now both are in God's realm. If he can really forgive sins, that would be a God thing, obviously. And if he really can make him get up, get up off his mountain walk, that would be a God thing. 
But it's easier to say one because you don't have to prove validation of it. So he sets up a rule, which is easier for you to say, which is easier to say. They're going to think, well, of course, that would be the easier one to say. And he really sets him up for what's going to happen next. But just so you know that I am who I say I am. In fact, he uses this title, the son of man. Just so you know that I'm the son of man. I am who I say I am. I'll prove it to you. And then we see verses 10 through 12. Let's read it one more time. But, but that you may know that the Son of Man has the authority on earth to forgive sins. What did he just do? The Old Testament said the only person who can forgive sins would be God. Just so you know that me, the title I gave myself, the Son of Man, has the authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, I tell you, get up, take up your mat and go home. And he got up, took his mat and walked out in full view of all in full view of all of them. And they were amazed and they praised God saying, we've never seen anything like this. He says, just so you know that the son of man can forgive sins, let me do this. Let me do this miracle to prove it to you beyond a shadow of a doubt. What's the idea behind the Son of Man? The Son of Man was a title we believe today to be a messianic title for Jesus Christ. There's many messianic titles of the Old Testament that we see. Anointed One, Messiah, they go on and on and on. One that wasn't very clear in that day, culturally clear in that day, they didn't say Son of Man means Messiah in the first century. That was a title that Jesus took on his, on his own. It's written 14 times in the book of Mark. We see it all over the Gospels. It was his preferred title. Why would he give himself a title that was different than anointed one Messiah that they would all be referencing from the Old Testament? Why would he do that? Probably because the Son of Man was a title they weren't using and therefore he could define that one for himself. He could explain what that one was. And their idea of what the Messiah was to be was much different than what the Messiah was. I'll give you an example. The Messiah is going to come. He's going to be a new king. And he's going to take out those Romans and then we're going to be in charge of ourselves. And James and John, his own disciples, were like, hey, Jesus when you become king, can I be like the official over this region and can he be the official over that? We want power too. We want authority too. We're, 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 we got in at the ground level of this thing. So when this happens, because obviously you got all these miracles and these powers, you're going to become king. What am I going to be in charge of? How much money am I going to make? How popular and famous am I going to be now because I'm associated with you? That was their concept of the Messiah. Even his own very disciples had that same concept. When he comes in and says the son of man, he gets to release a title that he begins to be able to define. That's probably why he decided to use that title and it's most, his, his most preferred title as he refers to himself. And so the idea is, I didn't come just to make a physical kingdom. I'll do that one day. One day we'll probably teach on that. The millennial kingdom and Christ will reign and all those things will be true. The Old Testament says about it. But I came to reign in your heart right now. Now, the reason I'm here is to reign in your heart, to get you spiritually right before God. And so that's what he's trying to, but just so you know, uh, uh, that the Son of Man is the authority to forgive sins on earth, I'm going to do this miracle. It's, a, it's an imp- three, threefold imperative. Get up, pick up, and walk. Get up, pick up, and walk. So he tells the guy, the same, get up, pick up, and walk. Now these are, these are astronomical miracles, not, not like the ones we see today in different miracle movements where somebody in here has the, the, front, the first letter and your name is an R and you have a headache and God's healed you. That's baloney. This is a guy who literally cannot walk, paraplegic, and, God, and Jesus says, get up, pick up your man and walk, and he walks out right before their eyes. Unbelievable, instantaneous miracle at the word of Jesus Christ. And he sets up a scenario before them that if he can make this guy walk, then he must have the authority to forgive sins as well. 
One commentator said this way, he did the miracle that they could see that they may know that he also had done the miracle that they could not see. The one where he forgives sins. This would be a marked difference. We gotta, gotta make notice of this. A marked difference as it relates to the sequence of the miraculous in Jesus Christ's ministry. Uh, it's, he's done a lot of healing. He do healing, healing, healing. This time he said, before he did the healing, he said, I forgive you of your sins and then I healed you. And so there's a big difference and almost brings a new purpose of why the miraculous is even there. Now I want you to follow me here because it's really important. Why does Jesus Christ even participate in the miraculous? The whole idea is I'm going to do and heal and restore you physically so that you will see a picture or, or an illustration that you need to be healed and restored spiritually. That is why I do all the miracles. I'm going to heal you physically as a picture as to that you need spiritual healing as well. I'm not just here to do the physical. This is why later in John chapter 6 and later he stops doing miracles. He says, oh, we just want more food. We want to see a magic show, man. This is cool. Can you walk on water again? That was so cool. I mean, I'm trying to figure moonwalk this time. You know, this is what they were doing. He stops doing because you are only wrapped up in the physical realm and all you want to do is see things that entertain you. I came to do spiritual things all of them. When he, when he heals the man born blind in John chapter 9 and, and heals him, he's saying, I, just like he was physically blind, I can, I can heal you of your spiritual blindness. It's all an illustration of the spiritual side. And so right here he, he develops, he says, listen, your sins are forgiven. And then he heals him. Just like I restored him physically, I can restore him spiritually as well. Don't just focus on the physical side. Focus on the spiritual purpose. And you know, I'm just take a second here because there's movements out there and, and I just pastorally, I'm, I, wanna, I, wanna, I wanna guide you in this. There's movements out there right now that are just promoting the miraculous, the miraculous, the miraculous. They get all, all up in arms about the miraculous, the miraculous. And if, you, if you're not, if, if the miraculous isn't tied to, I'm not saying that God can't do miracles. Please, he's God. He, of course he can do miracles. But if you're so bent and in the, in the, in the, in the miracles become an end in themselves, and I'm just telling you, it's not modeling after Christ himself because the, the miracles only were the basis, the starting point, the foundation for what he wanted to do spiritually in somebody's life. So be careful about those things. Be careful about those things. There should be spiritual restoration as well. Everybody who was healed in the New Testament died. Every one of them. Well, he, that guy's dead. The, the, the paralytic died. So obviously there was a point besides just physical healing. They all died. It was an illustration that God wants to do something in your heart, in your soul. Just like he can restore you physically, he can restore you spiritually. And when he does it, they left amazed. Literally, the idea is they're out of their mind. They're awestruck. Holy cow, what did we just see? I've seen that guy paralyzed for years. Never has he moved off that mat. All of a sudden, he's walking in front of everybody. And so we see Jesus arrives in town, back home. House is crowded. Paralyzed guy comes. Friends bring him, lower him through a roof. And Jesus forgives his sins, and he heals him. And that brings us to our big idea today. Approaching God in faith and desperation leads to his favorable response. When you approach God in faith and in desperation, just know that you are in the realm of where Jesus or God would respond to you in a favorable way. If you get to the point, I'm at my wit's end. I can't make it on my own anymore. This is not working. What I got just doesn't work. And I come in faith and in desperation to this God 
This is the realm at which he will respond to you favorably. And it's no different today. At some point, you may come to the conclusion that you realize that you need Jesus as your only hope. Your only hope. And you may feel desperate right now. Yeah, I got nowhere else to turn. There was this gal last week. Came to our church for the first time. Her name is Veronica. That's all I'll say about her. You can pray for her. Uh, I announced that we pray on Tuesday. She, said, she came on Tuesday at, at 12 o'clock. And she just said, uh, I won't give you all the details. And she said, I'm just in a world of hurt right now. I'm desperate. You guys pray, so I thought I'd come. This is the first time I've ever been to your church, and now I'm at the prayer meeting. I loved it. We had like three ladies there. They surrounded her. They're like, whoosh, whoosh, you know, they put their hands on I start praying over her. Everybody's weaving. I'm like, and I was saying, Veronica, if you came back this week, I just want to let you know, that approach that you had, a faith and desperation, that's when you're going to get the fabled response of God. When you say, I got nothing else. I, I, I got nowhere else to go. That's where he meets you. That's where he meets you. Years ago, um, I uh, was at the Masters College. Now it's called the Masters University, which, by the way, has the number one team in the nation uh, in basketball right now. And last night I went to an unmentionable school in Santa Barbara, but it rhymes with Esmont. And uh, we beat them by 21 points. And so, <laughs> and so this is the first time we've been this good ever. So I'm like traveling, you know, the, their national championships in Kansas City. If you want to send me to Kansas City, um, we're going to start a GoFundMe. And, <laughs> Anyway, so, um, but I was at the Masters University, and, and if you've never been to a Christian college university, you don't understand this, but there's a thing called a Christian bubble, and, and everybody's in there, and you pray over your food, and you pray over your salt, and then you pray over your pepper, and it's just like this crazy, weird, it's not real world, and so, and when I was there, I, I, you know, there was this group that would head out to Santa Monica every Friday night, and we'd go out there, and we would go tell people about Jesus. We'd evangelize. Uh, did you do it because it was horribly successful? No, no, no. I did it because I wanted to get out of the bubble. <laughs> I want to get into the real world. And so the idea is they would pair you up with this girl, and then you, you know, so the guys could protect the girls, and we just walk Third Street Promenade on a Friday night. You've been there, it's like thousands of people, and then, or, or, or you know, or the, uh, or the pier in Santa Monica, and you just go up to people and tell them about Jesus. And again, I would go and I'd pray, and I, you know, I, I hate it when I got one, stuck with one of these girls who wanted to talk to like every bum, you know, hey, let's go tell that bum about Jesus. I'm like, listen, you're gorgeous. Of course he's going to come to know Jesus. Anything to get you to come closer to him and hold his hands, you know. And I was like, and then, you know, so finally I just steer clear of those type of girls because they just didn't get it, you know. And, and I would just go and I'd walk the streets and, uh, and I'd just pray, God, who do you want me to talk to? Uh, and, you know, I'm not concerned about whether somebody comes to know Jesus or not. I don't know what, what you have in mind, but I just, what do you want me to talk to? And, and sometimes I'd pray for a half an hour, and then finally I'd see someone, and I'd keep on praying. I go, I think God wants me to talk to that one. It's not like there's an audible voice thing going on, please. I, I'm not, not going there. I'm not saying that, you know, God, you know, threw out a highlighter pen and put with an arrow. No, it wasn't. I just prayed, and, and I felt impressed in my heart, you know, that person. I'll never forget this one interaction with this guy. And I'll never forget his name. His name was Robert. This is 20 years ago now. Robert, sitting on a park bench. And I go to Robert, man, hey, how you doing, dude? Dude, I just see you here sitting by yourself. Are you here with anybody? No, nah, I'm here by myself. I'm like, man, well, you know, where are you from? He's, oh, I'm from New York. I'm actually just on vacation. I go, really? Do you have friends you're visiting, family you're visiting in California? No. No, I'm just here. I have this really good job in New York, and so they give me two weeks of vacation. So basically what I do, since I have such a good job, I just pick a place on the map, and I go there, and I just hang out for two weeks, and I just people watch. I go, really, Robert? You come all the way to California. You're sitting in Santa Monica, sitting on the benches, watching people walk by. Yeah. I go, Robert, tell me more about your family. He's like, oh, I don't have any family. When I was like 10 years old, my parents got in a car accident and they died. So I got raised in the foster care system. I don't have any family at all. Don't have a wife. Don't have any kids. Don't have any friends. I'm just, I'm here in California 
literally just people watching on a Friday night in Santa Monica. And I looked at the guy and I said, Robert, dude, I think God wanted me to talk to you, man. Because I'm just telling you, there's more to this world, more to this life than a two-week vacation in California that you don't know nobody. I'm just, just telling you, you seem like you've had a lot of crap in your life. I had a lot of crap in my life too. I'm just telling you, there's more to this world and more to this life. There's a hope beyond this world that's bigger than this. You could have more. And I remember giving him some literature and his face and his eyes were like, you know, like contemplating. Like I, I actually think the guy went back and read it. I don't know if he's saved. Who knows? He may be a pastor. I don't know. Maybe I'll see him in heaven. But I'm just telling you, that was like a divine appointment. I was trying to say, this, Jesus Christ is your only hope, man. When this, this life has ups and downs and, and highs and lows, Jesus Christ is the stabilizing factor. Saw another kid, this time at the end of the pier. It was a different night. Uh, the very end of the pier. It's a dark, uh, cold, windy night, and the kid's in like a tank top and shorts. I'm like, this doesn't make sense. So I watched for like 10 minutes. I'm praying. And, and I, so clear to me that he's not there with anybody. He's by himself. And so I walk up. I go, hey, man, how you doing? This kid didn't tell me his name. It's like 15 to 17 years old. He's staring out into the horizon, like where the water meets the sky and the moon's there. And I'm thinking to myself, look on his face. I think this kid might jump. Like, I think he might jump. Hey, man, how you doing? He won't say a word to me. I go, listen, bro, I don't know if you believe in God or not, but I'm just telling you, I think, I think God wanted me to talk to you tonight. And I'm just telling you, man, whatever it is, whatever crap you're going through, I don't know if your girlfriend broke up with you, I don't know what you're contemplating. There is more to this world than what you see right now. There's more. This 80 years on earth is just a drop of water in the ocean of eternity. There's more to this world. There's more hope to this world than whatever is going on in your life right now. Turn to God in your desperation. Don't turn to whatever you're contemplating. I don't know what happened to that kid. I don't even know if he was listening. Didn't say much to me. Surely I just remember his stoic face. He's contemplating a lot. Approaching God in faith and desperation leads to his favorable response. I wonder if you come to the place in your life where Jesus is your only hope. Have you come to the desperate place where you would say, Jesus is my only hope. I wonder if you'd like to leave today like the paralytic left with his sins forgiven. Probably his bigger need, that's the whole irony of the whole story. Sure, he can walk again, but his bigger need was to get right with God because in 50 years he was going to die anyway. I wonder if you would like to leave with your sins forgiven. It's more important than any of your present day circumstances that you could get right with God. Let's pray together. As the band comes back up and plays a little behind me, I'm just gonna offer you an opportunity if that's where you're at. It's interesting, we have so many people here. We have visitors every week we know because uh, we do a little tracking method thing and you come the first time, second time, third time, all of you, you're wrestling with these things. I don't know when God's going to open your eyes to this desire and need and desperate plea of faith to a Savior to forgive your sins. If you want to do that, here's your opportunity right now. I'd like to invite you to it. You know, we have people who invite their friends and neighbors all the time. And if you're one of those people, this is the part that they probably invited you for. This is why they invited you. They want you to see God in a new way. They want you to have a relationship with God like they have. They want you to have that stabilizing factor in life that no matter the highs of the Lord, God, Jesus never promises that if you come to know Jesus, life will be easy. I will not say that to you. 
It might be the opposite, actually. But he does promise you that he will be with you in the midst of the fire. And that one day you'll be in paradise and nothing on this earth can stop you from that when you know There's something that happens at the cross of Jesus Christ and all of our sin when we place faith in him is transferred from us and placed onto Jesus Christ. And all of his righteousness, he's never done anything wrong, being God, very God, man, very man, walked a perfect life on this earth that we could never live. And he says, I'll transfer that righteousness to you and you transfer your sin to me. And that is why I can say, son, your sins are forgiven because he would take our place. But he says, I won't force it on you. You gotta want it. You might come desperately. You might come in faith. All right, I'm a candidate. I, I, I know what I got going on in life hasn't worked for me. I need this God to take over. Now you're in a good spot. If you'll, if, if you'll take me, Jesus, and, and all I have to do is ascribe faith to you and say, yeah, I believe that he died on the cross for my eyes. I confess in my mouth, I believe in my heart that Jesus is Lord. Those scriptures say, then you will be saved. You can do that right now. It's in your heart. I believe. I confess in my mouth, I believe in my heart, Jesus is Lord. The promise is of salvation, not necessarily on this earth, but certainly for eternity. It's gonna be so much better. So much better. Do you want him? Are you here? Do you want him? Do want not want to move faster than we need to for you to get right with God? Father, I pray you continue using this place. It's amazing to me. Weeks where we do invitations, nobody comes to know. Weeks where we don't do anything, people come to know Jesus. You know what you're doing. You're the God of this universe. You're everywhere. You're all-knowing. You're all-powerful. Do what you do. We just want to be a light that proclaims the gospel. And I pray if somebody prayed the prayer today that they would acknowledge it, tell us about it, and that we could help them on their new spiritual journey as they try to figure this out this roller coaster ride of amazing faith where we could sing, say like we sang today, I'm a new creation. You've made me new. Let us be a church about that. Let people know us for that. Let this be a place where the grace of God is promoted. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.